Hi there, it's uh, me, Cheryl Richardson, and um, I'm happy to be here with you on Memorial Day here in the States. For this week's Facebook Live, I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Last week I was, where was I? I had had our retreat by the sea, the self-care by the sea retreat. And then I went to New Orleans to um, speak at a conference. And the week before that, I can't remember, but I've been, I've been around. Hi, Terry. <laughs> Glad you're here. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I've been around and kind of busy and um, but glad to be back here with you. Thought I would stop in for just a little bit to tell you a little story and then maybe answer some of your questions. Hi, Donna from San Francisco and Kelly, welcome, and Kimberly. Hi, Lisa, glad you're here. Hi, Robin, <laughs> the gang's all here. Hi, Julie, good afternoon to you. Hi, Teresa, welcome. I wonder how you're doing, Teresa. Are you all settled in in your new home? And Audra, welcome to you, and Rosanna, and Anne-Marie, welcome. Natalie, um, I'm glad you're all here. I'm glad you're joining me. Hi, Deb from Calgary and Carol from Nevada. Um, and Susan. Hi, Susan. Oh, thank you. Susan was at the retreat. I did a retreat with um, Russ Hudson, who's the Enneagram expert. And um, yeah, it was a really, it was great. It was the first time I had men at the retreat and it was really, really lovely to have them there. And um, and I just felt like Russ brought a whole new experience. I thought it was really great. I enjoyed it a lot. And I've asked him to join me again next year in April. We'll do another retreat together and include um, not only talk of the Enneagram, but something called the Instincts, which I'll tell you more about beforehand. Hi, Heather. Welcome. And Tess and Lynn. Hi, everybody. Hi, Pam from South Africa and William from Brazil. Welcome to you. Glad to have you here. Um, so, oh, here we go. So Paul says, hello from the Mediterranean island of Malta in Europe. Yes, Malta. Um, you know, it's interesting, Paul. My husband, Michael, and I recently did the, um, the 23andMe ancestry test. We just did the, uh, you know, um, the genetic test to find out where we came from. And he was really surprised to see there was a high percentage of Malta, um, that that's where he was from, that that's where, um, a significant percentage of his ancestry came from Malta, so that was quite a surprise. No surprise that I'm Irish and English, um, but um, a little surprise that I had some, um, oh, I can't remember how you say it, um, Ashkenazi Jew and um, Iberian and uh, French. So it was interesting. It was just very interesting thing to do to see kind of what our genetic makeups were like and where we um, originated from. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, I'm glad to have you all here with me. So today's Memorial Day here in the States, and um, it's a day where we honor the servicemen and women who gave their lives in active duty. And uh, as some of you know, I've talked about it before, I belong to... Um, I belong to a gym, a CrossFit gym. So it's like this sort of intense workout. And every Memorial Day, we do a workout called the Murph, the Murph. And it's, um, you run a mile, you do 100 uh, pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats unweighted, and then you run another mile. No, I did not do all of that. And you do all of that in under an hour. 
the average time I think is like 45 to 50 minutes. Not something I'm capable of doing at this point. Although every year I get better at it. This is my third year doing it. But I do it with a team. Um, my friends Beth and Eleanor who work out with me. And uh, so we break it up. And uh, I do it. The first year that I did Murph, I learned about the story of Michael Murphy, the man that the uh, workout is, is attributed to, who was a Navy SEAL who lost his life in 2005. I think it was Afghanistan. And um, I just heard the extraordinary story of how this man saved the lives of his fellow, uh, fellow servicemen. And uh, I remember... I got to hear the story just before the workout and I was really nervous. I had just joined CrossFit and I thought there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to do this workout. What am I doing here? I thought I was out of my mind, which is an important part of this conversation. And, um, but I heard the story of what this young man endured and how he saved lives and how he gave up his life um, in service to his country. And I thought, well, if he can do that, I can at least attempt this workout that honors him. And it's become a ritual. And so today, Beth and Eleanor and I broke it up. We took it on. We actually recruited um, Beth's husband to run some of it for us. But it reminded me of, uh, I thought about it. Beth and I were talking about it afterwards. And I thought about um, it's doing something like this, taking on a project like this, is such a great way to, um, to learn about how to do hard things. Because we all have hard things that we need to do in life, right? It could be doing your taxes. It could be um, raising children really hard. Uh, it could be meditating for some people really hard. Exercising on a regular basis, not easy. I mean, there's so many different things. Having to move, um, having to find a job. I mean, there's lots of things that we do in life that are difficult because life is change. It's all about change. It's all about forward movement because if you're not moving forward you're dying so um, all of us are engaged in this process of change and so as I was thinking about the workout after we completed it um, I was sort of reverse engineering this process of doing something hard and um, I wanted to just share some of that with you because I know that you are up against something difficult in your life I have no doubt if not right now you will be soon we all are and let me take some tea, wait a minute. Mm, herba mate, I love it. So um, the first thing I learned about um, doing difficult things is not to do them alone. And I say this all the time, don't do hard things alone, get support. Even if it's somebody to just sort of cheer you on or to uh, walk you through it or to um, support you as you go through the process of doing something difficult. Having Beth and Eleanor there, knowing that they were gonna be there and that we were gonna do this together meant I couldn't bag out. I needed to show up. I needed to make sure that I was going to go and actually do this workout. Then when we got there, we looked at the whole workout and what needed to be done and we broke it down. We, sh we shared the work. So instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to do 100 push-ups, which is really hard to do in a short amount of time, if you do them right, um, we basically broke it up between the three of us. So now we only had to do 33 or 34 push-ups each. Um, we each had to do 100 squats. We had to do about 65 or 70, um, I'm sorry, 65 or 70 push-ups and 35, 30 or 35 pull-ups. So we broke it down and we shared the work together. And then um, 
And that was really important. And then at the end of the workout, and so we just took our time and we just paced ourselves. And, and then towards the end of the workout, Beth decided to really challenge me to take on the mile run at the end. And um, she did so saying, listen, we can run it, we can walk it, we can crawl it, whatever it is, but let's just commit to doing a mile together. And I thought, great, because I feel like I'm in better shape this year than I was last year. And I thought, all right, I'll take that challenge on. I love a good challenge. And Beth and I set out to do um, the last mile of the Murph workout together. And, um, and that's when I really noticed, um, once again, the importance of getting a handle on our mind and how our thinking either supports us in growth and change and doing difficult things or it gets in the way, it hinders our forward movement and our growth. Because as I was running, I was thinking to myself, I noticed my thoughts, I became a witness to my thoughts. So it was sort of like a running meditation. And I noticed I was thinking things like, I can't do this, um, this isn't good for my legs, or it's not good for my hips, or my joints. Like all this stuff I kept telling myself while I'm running. Um, it's too humid, I can't breathe. I have this thing about breathing when I'm running, and I do, but it's not as bad as my mind would like me to think it is. And about a third of the way into the run, I realized what was happening was there was this old neural program. I talk about this a lot on Facebook Live. This old neural network in place to keep me in a safe and familiar position. This old neural network got plugged in and suddenly it was just playing the same old tapes, um, trying to protect me trying to prevent me from doing something new and different. You know, the ego has this really a vested interest in us staying the same. Um, because when we are willing to take on something hard and to give it our all and to, to make a commitment to it and to actually do it in whatever capacity we can, we grow and we evolve in some way. And in some way, we leave a little piece of our old familiar ego behind. We become more fully uh, a, a stronger, higher part of who we are. And so I noticed that voice was happening. Can you hear my birds out there? <laughs> That's a red-winged blackbird. He's sitting right there. Um, he, he shows up at every Facebook Live. Um, so as, as I continue the run, and I recognize this neural network, the great thing about noticing neural programming is the minute you notice it, you disengage from it. It no longer has the same power, but you have to continue to witness it. So as I was running and sometimes walking, I would just say to myself, you got this. And then Beth was awesome. This is the other great thing about having a good friend. Beth would say to me, we're doing great, Cheryl. We got this. We're going to do it. We're going to be, we're going to feel awesome afterwards. We've got it. And, um, you know, running a mile might not seem like a big deal to a lot of people, but, um, as somebody who doesn't really run a lot, I tend to do more different forms of cardio. Um, it is a big deal and we were able to do it and have a good time and I felt great afterwards I was really I did I felt Stretched or expanded in some way and this is what happens when we take on something new when we get support when we oh Here's the other thing. Here's the other important thing. This is really important um, I remembered this when I was running and I think this is true for any of us when there's something that we want to do on a regular basis to help us grow and evolve and strengthen ourselves. If we push ourselves too hard, if we make whatever it is we're doing too difficult, we then build, um, we build a negative relationship with that, 
practice, that exercise, whether it's meditation or exercise or cooking or whatever, if you push yourself too far, then you're running the risk of setting up this kind of relationship that has you want to avoid doing it. So when we were on our way back from the mile, once we had gone past the halfway point, um, I noticed I was really tired and I needed to walk. But my head said, no, 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 you can't walk. You have to run the whole thing. You need to run. And I thought, yeah, but I just want to walk for maybe 20 or 30 steps just to kind of catch my breath. No, you need to run. And that's when I went, wait a minute. If I push myself to do something that my body doesn't feel like it's ready to do or wants to do, then I'm probably not going to want to try this again. But if I make it an enjoyable experience, if I make it doable, and if I practice good self-care, if I'm sort of loving with myself as I do it, then chances are I'm going to want to do it again, which is what I've done the last two years. So I stopped and started to walk and then pretty soon felt good enough again to be able to get up and start, you know, uh, continue running. So I think that's really important as well. So getting good support, breaking something down, eliminating clutter, think of that, breaking it into small steps, we all hear that. Um, paying attention to your thinking as you're doing it. What thoughts am I thinking while I'm doing this hard thing? And are the thoughts supporting me in my commitment to finish, in my commitment to doing it? Uh, are my thoughts supporting me in having an enjoyable experience? Or am I plugged into an old network that's just really set up to sabotage me? And um, and then afterwards, do you celebrate in some way? And I did. You know, Beth and I hung out and we we took a selfie and put it on Instagram. And um, we were sort of laughing and stretching. Very important to stretch. Um, stretching together. And then I came home and just had a really wonderful afternoon reading a good book. I took a nap. And... Um, just um, visited with people afterwards. We had a little cookout at the gym and it was really just a lot of fun and a wonderful way to kind of end a decision to uh, do something to honor servicemen and women who gave their lives um, while at the same time supporting my health and the health of my friends. So um, I hope that in that, in that story, you'll get some piece of wisdom that will, um, uh, that will support you in doing something difficult, uh, taking something on that is going to really help you to grow and change and evolve and, you know, connect more with, um, you know, with just the higher part of you. Yeah, your higher self. Walking is good too. Absolutely, Diane. Um, so anyway, that's my story. And um, I'm, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, Jasmine, I wonder how it's synchronistic. So let's just take, I'm going to take a few minutes to answer some of your questions. Maybe it's about doing something hard. Maybe it's about something else. I'm going to just scroll back here and um, take a look and see what you all have to say. How's the weather, Carol says? The weather is, it's um, cloudy and kind of heavy. Uh, it's humid, but it's cool. And that's nice because over the weekend it was 90. It felt like we went from winter to summer. Um... Hi, Stephanie, from sunny and hot Ontario. And, I, and this is your first time being here. I'm so glad you're here. Um, Carol, you're waiting on your ancestry report. They're really interesting. My ancestry report told me that I'm a descendant of King Henry VIII. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> anyway, um, Grace says, running is my meditation. So many things become clearer to me when I run. It's true. 
It's true. Walking was like that for me for a number of years, Grace. And now I find that um, when I'm doing some of my CrossFit workouts, I feel the same way. Um, but I am gonna tr I'm gonna try more running for sure. Yeah, the Art of War by uh, uh, the War of Art. Sorry, by Stephen Pressfield. Such a good book. Um, let's see. Yeah, Sarah says thank you for the reminder not to push myself too hard. That's so important. Anything new you want to do that's going to support your self-care. If you if you have a tough teacher in your head or a critical parent or somebody who pushes you too hard or tries to get you to do things before you're ready, the chances of you not being consistent are far greater. So um, the, the kinder you are to yourself, the better the chances are that you're going to um, continue doing what you need to do to take good care of yourself. Um, yeah, Audra says, when I went alone to the gym, I did 30 minutes, but with a friend, I did an hour. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Um, I, can't, I can't tell you how much my life has changed in the last two years because of the support that I have. Eleanor is um, a bit older than I am, and she's stronger than I am. She kicks ass, and she has inspired me for the last two years. And Beth is another one who's just, she's younger than I am, and she's incredibly strong. And she's like a bright light, always like excited and happy and supportive and um i just love i love her and i love working out with her it's really great um let's see yeah so shannon wants to know what kind of writing routine did you set up to make it enjoyable and something you look forward to that's a good question because that's another writing a book is hard <laughs> finishing a book is hard and so um, I've tried a lot of different things, Shannon. It really depends on the book that I'm working on. This last one, Waking Up in Winter, um, was more of a memoir. And so there were a couple of different places in the house where I set up almost like little nests. And um, I had, sometimes I would have like a heating pad because I was working on it in winter. Sometimes I'd have a heating pad, um, a great cup of tea. My little cat Poupon used to just sit right next to me while I was writing. Um, Sometimes I would have uh, um, essential oils, so I would really, I would make it a full body experience. Sometimes I'd play, uh, play music, a lot of times very quiet, um, sort of spa-like music. More often than not, I wrote in silence. Um, I prefer that. I like silence or the sound of animals and birds, if you can hear them out there. Um, and I, I've learned, I guess, Shannon, over the years that every book has its own time frame so its own um, time when it wants to be written so a lot of times I'd get up early in the morning because I'm a morning person and I would just go down when it's quiet and it, it felt kind of like the world hadn't woken up yet and I would just sit and watch the sunrise and work on the book and I would only this is really important for me Shannon I would only write for about 45 minutes at a time and then I'd get up and take a break I just found that so generally speaking, I would do that. Every now and then I would get in a groove and I'd look up and three hours would pass and I'd think, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much time had passed. But that's not common for me. I like to write in fits and starts. And um, at least this last book. When I wrote Take Time for Your Life, I wrote it in the middle of the night. I listened to wild music a lot of the times. I felt like I was playing the piano with my keyboard. And... Um, that was a that was a more of a kind of make it happen sort of book. Waking up in winter was like the book itself, which is a gentler exploration into what it means to live in a present way in life. And that's really what my 
our routine was like. And sometimes, sometimes Shannon, I would have a little glass of champagne while I was writing. Um, sometimes a yummy cookie. Um, I learned when I wrote Stand Up For Your Life, don't have too many yummy cookies because you'll put on a lot of weight while you write a book. So I don't, don't do that. Um, I really sort of pick and choose um, what I give myself for little treats. Anyway, oh, and then the other thing, the last thing I'll say about the writing is I get so many of my great stories and examples while I'm doing things like loading the dishwasher, unloading the dishwasher, folding laundry, washing and drying clothes. So I see that as part of my writing routine. I look for, I do this every week, by the way, when I write the blog on Sundays that I put out, um, I look for little household chores to do because while I'm doing them, I give my hands a chance to do something else. I'm moving my body and my mind wanders and I'm able to, sometimes I'll come up with a line or a phrase or a word or I'll remember a story that I want to include and that's a really fun, important part of my writing process as well. So I hope that's helpful. Um, so let's see. So Chiara says, I'm struggling with the concept of age. I want to make it as a singer, but I feel I'm too old. I'm 36. Oh my Lord. <laughs> and for music, that might be too late. Well, you know, Chiara, first of all, watch the voice because you see people of all ages singing. And I love that. You will have a difficult time making it at 36 as long as you believe that you'll have a difficult time making it at 36. I know people in their 60s who are incredible singers who continue to sing. Um, it's interesting to look at what make it means. I don't know what that means. Um, I will tell you as a writer, this is really important as an artist, and I'm 58, so I'm a lot older than you are, and I'll say that what I care about now more than anything is the creative process. And as somebody who loves to sing, I want to sing for the joy of singing. Doesn't mean that you know, as a writer, I don't want to get my books published and I want, I hope that people will read them. But what's really important is engaging fully in the process of uh, doing your art. And the interesting thing about that, Chiara, is when you really begin to sing for the joy of singing, when you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to worry less about making it, just like I'm going to worry less about is my book going to, you know, while I'm writing it, is it going to be a bestseller? Are people going to like it? Um, I'm going to really enjoy the creative process fully. You might want to just go sing wherever they let you open your mouth. That's how I started teaching. And it taught me a lot about, I love teaching just like I love writing. And, um, I just taught, you know, I would speak everywhere. They'd let me open my mouth. And that's what I would do because Chiara, if you lose yourself in the creative process, you'll, you'll, you will sing your best, your greatest songs. You'll make your best art and the world will find a place for it. I promise you that's true. It's the ego part of us, the personality part of us that gets hung up in, oh, you're too, I'm too old, I'm never gonna make it. I'm never gonna, you know, nobody's ever gonna be interested in me. I know we live in a youth, um, in a youth obsessed culture, but that's changing. And we're the ones that are gonna change that. And you're still young anyway. And um, you just want to really enjoy your art, sweetheart. The ego says, uh, 
Oh my gosh, you're too old. You're not going to make it. You remember what I said in the beginning of this Facebook Live. The ego part of us wants to protect us. Those old neural program, the old neural networks want to keep you safe in the same place that you are. And I say, use your voice to challenge that those old programs in your mind by getting out and singing your beautiful heart out. All right, go out and do that. Do it. And the world will find a place for you, I promise. Okay. Um, let's see. All right. I'm just going to look to see. Vanessa says, Aloha, Cheryl. Any advice on raising funds for my second children's book? Well, if you have a first children's book, the first thing I would say, and I say this all the time to writers, especially when I do the speak, write and promote workshop is, um, focus on making your first book really, really successful. And then the second book will get funded. Um, before you put a book out into the world, it's so important to build a platform, to build an audience for your work. And um, so I would actually be more focused on who's the audience for my book and less focused on how to get it funded right now. And you can begin to build the audience with the first book that you did. I'm assuming it was probably wonderful and that people liked it. And I would encourage you to um, I always say when a new book comes out, like Waking Up in Winter came out the beginning of this year, I always spend a year supporting it at least, talking about it, um, and sometimes more. I mean, you know, when I did Take Time for Your Life, Oprah didn't pick that book up until over a year and probably eight months after it came out. So we want to really put our energy into the creative project that we've already done so that we can build an audience for the next one and then the raising of the funds will be a lot easier. Um, let's see. Yeah, Joanne says she misses running. Thanks for the inspiration. Yes, get yourself some good shoes. Makes all the difference in the world. I remember the day when I went out and found myself, found myself, went out and got myself a really good pair of running shoes. I doubled the length, uh, the, the distance that I could run just with good running shoes. Um, yes, there's nothing like hip replacement, Teresa, to, to teach us about our body. Um, Lisa, I'm so glad that um, waking up in winter helped you. That's really wonderful to hear. I appreciate that. Yeah, if you read the book and you all like it, I would love it if you would just put like a one-line review on Amazon because the reviews make such a difference um, in helping to spread the word. and. Um, I'd appreciate that so much. If if you're so inclined, that would be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, Doreen, I wish I would find a little robin's nest in a hanging basket. Um, let's see. Kimberly says, how do you know that you're making the right choice on something, for instance, even in my work life? My mind keeps me from growing, and I tell myself, yes, you can. Then I overthink and make negative thoughts about the decision all prior to actually doing it. So what's great about this, um, Kimberly, is that you recognize what you're doing. You, you are seeing that your thinking is what's getting in the way of you doing something different. And really you wanna focus on that. Focus on being a witness to the thoughts that you think. And when the old thoughts come in, like, oh, you can't do this, um, uh, or just, when you're overthinking it or the negative thoughts come in, just do this. Joe Dispenza has this great little trick and I love it. I use it all the time. Just say change. Just tell yourself change and then go do something different with your body. Break the pattern. 
So, and it might not be that you go and do what it is you're trying to change just then, but go take a walk, go load the dishwasher, go take a shower, change the sheets on the bed, do something to change the energy. Keep interrupting that pattern, that neural programming that's um, trying to keep you trying to help you maintain status quo. Just do something different and you'll see that it will start to change. I promise you. Um, oh, thank you, Gabriella. Um, how often do you stand up to have a break while you are writing? Yeah, every 45 minutes at least. Um, um, let's see. All right, I'm going to look for one more question and then um, <laughs> you guys are so funny. Um, um, Natalie says, Cheryl, my mom just transitioned and I know her message for me is to keep going strong and never stop. Any thoughts you could share, please? Yeah, so first of all, Natalie, I'm so sorry for your loss, and I'm going to put you in my um, prayer book, my little red prayer book that I have so many names in from um, uh, from here, from my Facebook Live, so you're in my prayer book. Natalie, um, losing your mom's a big deal, sweetheart, and um, I'm sure your mom wanted you to keep going strong because she loves you and she didn't want her loss to um, to be too burdensome on you. But you know it is. When we lose a parent, it's really, really life-changing and difficult. And so here's what I would say. I would say let's translate mom's message to you into keep going strong with your self-care. Because, you know, there was this thing called the year of firsts. And whenever we lose someone we love, whether it's a human or a pet, we have to go through a year of firsts where so many things will remind us of them as we go through the year. And that year of firsts especially really needs, um, need, we need to be able to really practice extreme self-care during that time. And so um, it doesn't mean that the grieving stops at the end of the year, but we begin to integrate the loss of our loved ones if we allow ourselves to fully grieve. We integrate the loss of our loved ones into our lives in a new and different way so that they're with us, but and they're with us differently. That's what today's, uh, yesterday's blog was about. So if you haven't read it, if you go to CherylRichardson.com, Natalie, I would encourage you to read the um, Finding Love After Loss blog. Uh, and if you don't get them, subscribe at CherylRichardson.com and you'll get it every week. Really important to make your self-care a priority. Let's decide that your mom, I know your mom, where she is now, would want you to be well taken care of and want you to really um, take especially good care of yourself during this year of first. It's a very sacred time. It's a time when we can really get to know ourselves on a deeper level, really hold ourselves, reach out to people that we love, allow ourselves to grieve. You know, those we love are worthy of our grief. So, um, I will, I'll say a little prayer for you, sweetheart. It will get better. It's difficult in the beginning, and I promise you, you'll get through it. And you will not only get through it, but you will come out more, more fully who you are, stronger in, 
your sense of self if you allow yourself to take this on as a spiritual practice over the next year, knowing that it will return you to a higher part of you that will then be expressed in the world. And um, I send you a whole bunch of love. I really do. All right, everybody. Well, I'm going to keep it short because it's Memorial Day and Michael and I are going to like a little cookout now. So um, thank you so much for being here with me. I so appreciate that you joined me here and I'll look forward to talking with you next week. As I said, if you're not subscribed to the weekly newsletter, that's where I'll let you know about when I'm doing the Facebook Live. So go to CherylRichardson.com and you can engage there. And our little bird is saying goodbye. Say goodbye. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Lots of love from me and the bird.